0: Thank you for tuning in to our podcast, Four Seas Around the World.
1: This is our chance to hear from our Four Charlies at different locations across the globe.
0: A chance to hear about the different missions at each location.
1: And a way to give our Four Charlies a voice to discuss their unique roles across the AFMS.
0: I'm Master Sergeant Jonathan Becker, Flight Chief at Whiteman Air Force Base Mental Health Clinic.
1: And I'm Master Sergeant Vanessa Bucher, Flight Chief at Joint Base Anacostia Bowling Mental Health Clinic.
0: Listen in as we get to hear stories about how our fellow Four Charlies came into the career field, the different challenges they have overcome, and their goals on where they want their career to take them.
1: We want to ensure people are able to get a better picture for how operations are at different locations and to also have Four Charlies discuss some of the very unique missions out there. To include SEER, different embedded positions, working at the Brig, working with the MTIs, and other missions that are available to us in our career field.
0: What we won't be doing is discussing by name issues with other members in our career fields, enlisted, officer, or civilian.
1: And we will not be swapping stories about patients.
0: So please tune in and hear about our four Charlie experiences.
1: And let us know if you have any feedback for us, the hosts, or our guests.
0: Thank you again for tuning
1: in. Enjoy the show. All right. Hey everyone, welcome back to another Four Charlie Around the World episode. Today we have Staff Sergeant Danny Pearson from Joint Base Andrews. She's gonna to talk to us today about um, her deployment that she just got back from, from Dover. Um, she did a manning assist out to Ielson um, and and just some other fun little facts about her career and come and, and how she ended up here in the, the Air Force. But before we get started with her, we're starting a new segment today called Shirt Dirt. Uh, as we know, Sergeant Becker has started his shirt duty um, in a maintenance squadron? I forget what kind of squadron, I'm sorry.
0: No, 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 you're good. So um, <laughs> I actually am attached to the 20th attack unit at Whiteman and it's a, uh, it's a geographically separated unit. So a GSU, so we actually fall under Shaw, the 25th attack group that then falls under Creech, the 432nd. So that's oh. been a learning curve for me. Um,
1: not confusing at all.
0: (laughs) No, not at all. But their mission is they, uh, they have pilots and sensor operators as well as Intel folks, and they fly the MQ nine mission, um, downrange or wherever needed. So, um, it's a, so the, the biggest, the biggest thing, um, you know, over the last two weeks that I've officially been in the seat, I've had a lot of, um, a lot of stuff happening, you know, your normal, um, you know, midnight calls, your normal mental health, um, you know, related work issues, a lot of spouse needs, um, or, you know, helping spouses while members are TDY or deployed. Um, So there's been a lot of, you know, a lot of the normal stuff, but the biggest learning curve for me has been the culture, right? So just as folks have been deployed somewhere, TDY somewhere, you have to kind of like you know, fit in where you can get in kind of deal. You know, um, you're the first sergeant. So, you know, people are going to ask you for stuff regardless, that phone will ring regardless. So to me, um, just making sure I deliver whenever that phone comes on and not so much as I have all the answers, it's recognizing immediately if I don't know, and then how can I get that answer? But, um, the culture is phenomenal. the coach The culture is really phenomenal at the unit. Um, so it's a unit that it's a mission that a lot of people want to be a part of, in the um, in the uh, intel or not sorry in the sensor operator and the pilot. Like a lot of people are, are prior enlisted. A lot of people are cross trainings. A lot of people want to do this job. So the commander is really awesome in that he has really set the tone for that culture. He wrote a seven page paper called the Hellhound Why because the, we are the Hellhounds. Um, and he focused on three different aspects of culture, but he has really delivered a lot where, um, for instance, any males that, um, that, you know, their spouses give birth, even if they're active duty or not, they say, Hey, you're the, we are going to give you that 42 days of leave because they're a 24, seven unit. So they know they expect a lot of the members. So they're going to say, Hey, we know 20 days is not enough to establish the family 40. I mean, you could argue that's yeah, not enough, but at least they, Right off the bat, it's not even a question. Commander's going to sign off on that. Um, they've really done a lot to curb their fitness where, um, you know, they do a mock test, and if you score 80 or above, they'll count that as an official test. Um, but you got to score 80 above. Can't be exempt on any components. Um, they've actually worked with a local um a local business where they deliver macros friendly meals to the unit. So the booster club goes, picks up the meals, brings them back. And that way, you know, they have a a chip scanner and they have their normal snack bars, you know, energy drinks, things like that. Um, they have naked juices in there. I mean, they have a lot of healthy options. So they say, you know, they're really big on the fitness, but also, Hey, you know, we need you not crashing in the middle of the night because you're on your third monster. We want you to eat healthy, have some other healthy options. If you need it, it's there. We got it. Um, but, A lot of healthy, healthy options. And one big thing that um, I found is really, really interesting, they've incorporated the 360 feedback. And what they do is they ask one question, and that is, how well is is the member performing? And they ask that of the rater, of the peer, and of the subordinates underneath that member. So everybody gets input on those things. so it's been really interesting to get ingrained into the culture, learning all the stuff that I can about these guys. Um, and again, just kind of proving myself that I'm willing to be that team player, willing to learn, willing to do whatever I need to do to help them. So, um, but you know, obviously it's, it's not medical. So it's, it's a huge, huge culture shock. And it's just been, it's been really fascinating, honestly, just to see how somebody has taken what I, feel like there are a lot of great ideas that sometimes seem impossible and just like made it happen. He just said, Hey, we're going to do this. And that's that, um, which was really cool because chief bass came to visit, um, to Whiteman and we were the second stop on, uh, towards the end of the night. And she loved it. She, we, we gave her a binder with all the things we talked about, the initiatives, the why, um, but I was fortunate enough the next day to um to have lunch with her with some other senior NCOs. We got to uh, we actually got to meet Diamond One, who is Chief Perry, former mental health tech. So that was really awesome yeah. to meet Chief. Former Perry. Our
1: command chief too uh, no when was up on Andrews. Yeah, he was. I think what was he the command chief when you first got to Andrews? Sir, I think so. Yeah. yeah.
0: But super awesome guy. Got to meet him. That was fantastic. Actually, I asked him. I was like, "Yo, can I add you on Facebook?" Because, you know, he's going to be the the career field manager, uh, or he is the career field manager. But so some of the things that we talked about with Chief Bass um, was I asked the question about the diversity inclusion uh, stuff that's going on with the memos that have come down from uh, current administration and. She, she very blatantly said, let me be clear, that is to not stop any diversity inclusion training. It's not to stop discussions. It's not to stop anything other than any paid for training that is vilifying a specific race. Mm-hmm. And I guess there was some, I, I don't know where, but somewhere in the DOD, um, somebody had paid for a uh, white privilege training and it went kind of sideways to where they were. Essentially, I guess the the message was not clear on uh, some of the other literature that's out there. And there was a lot of complaints about that. And a lot of people, I guess, um, felt attacked and not speaking from a white male and some of the stuff I've learned over the last few months, not the stuff like, oh, I didn't realize that or, hey, I didn't recognize that. I guess they felt like I am the problem, like I literally did something wrong. So they were trying to stop that. But um, she also said, you know, it shouldn't just be related to race but also gender, making sure that we're um mm-hmm. you know, having conversations about that. You know, obviously as the first female chief master Sergeant of the Air Force, she is, you know, mm-hmm. is fully aware of all the all the um the issues that females have in the in the military. So Um,
1: all the all the EO categories essentially correct
0: yeah not just not just race everything that is included in there so she talked about hey none of this stuff should be stopping other than specifically if it is vilifying a race or gender Um, the second question they were talking about MPA days just the guard is you know seeing a decrease and they're trying to figure that out Um, there are going to be uniform board changes coming down for the females talked about fitness as a culture the waist measurement will be leaving uh they will be trying to remove that permanently so um but she talked about hey hey a lot of people just focus on the test we really need to be focused on fitness as a culture the test is just that a test it's not an overview of your you know entire fitness um i asked a question about the epr she said with the feedback um apparently the the oprs the officer reports have really kind of come together and. Um, she goes, what they're looking for in a leader really shouldn't be different than what the enlisted look for. So yeah. there might be some similarities between the OPR and the EPR moving forward, but they really are looking on ways to value experience. So she said, not this EPR cycle, but next EPR cycle, make sure they'll figure out a way to say, Hey, you know, is it time and grade? Is it time and service? Or what is the other way that we capture that experience um mm-hmm. because she she did recognize she goes we are pushing through a lot of people pretty quickly and there is this leadership gap now and um she talked about strats going away from the specific numbers you know there's like you know a buker if you're number mm-hmm. one and i'm number two and pearson's number three it won't be that it'll just be either if we're in the top 10 or 20 percent and that's that
1: that's just it yeah that's, that's just it yeah but I think- um Correct. And I think we've talked about this because when you sit on some of these boards or you hear people talking about like the promotion they really get hung up on like numbers like that even though they're directed not to
0: <laughs> correct yeah.
1: yeah
0: you know what what is the difference between number one and number two or what right. number one and number ten you know if a you're, better it, bullet
1: writer exactly it, could it it could essentially be it could be that they are better but it also just could be because they you know can write a better bullet too.
2: <laughs> but
0: she talked a lot about too, making sure that we're being truthful in that EPR rating. And um, she did talk about the Sergeant Banks thing. And this is where another piece that she really talked about with uh, senior NCOs as being advisors to the commander. You know, she she said a lot of her um, social media stuff is run by her team. And after Sergeant Banks and a few other individuals had commented the same thing, on multiple posts, they brought it to her attention. We're like, hey, you may want to, we don't know how you want to address this. It seems like there's some trolls. And she even said, she goes, what's a troll? You know, like, what, what is yeah. that? And that's when she just put it out there. Like, you know, we clearly need to have a conversation because I don't understand what you're doing here or why. She goes, mm-hmm. I really wanted to know why are you asking this question? So um, the biggest issue that she saw whenever she talked to Sergeant Banks and his leadership team um, and she excused Sergeant Banks after they talked and got on the same page, was that the master sergeant, I'm a, I don't know if it's the direct raider or flight chief, but the master sergeant that was in on that conversation actually knew about the comments and said to the chief, "We we knew he had made those posts and we were going to talk to him. And she goes, that was a failure I felt on that leadership because I don't know about you guys, but the moment I know that one of my guys is putting stuff out there like that, I'm shutting it down immediately.
1: Mm -hmm. Um,
0: and me personally the way i feel about it is that you know nobody you know this you listen to her talk on one of her podcasts she says her name so you know it right off the bat and for him to do that and then do have other people in his circle bring up that question multiple times clearly it wasn't a knowledge deficit of how her name is pronounced it's a trolling Mm -hmm. seeking attention doing whatever and for that mass sergeant to say, "Hey, we knew about that, and we were going to do that," she goes, "I really felt like you know leadership let him down in that in that regard that they didn't educate the young man." But that kind of also, she said, goes into um, how we need to do better about connecting with our with our younger generation that's coming in. Um, you know, she put it in a great perspective. There's four different generations in our Air Force. There's you know, Boomers, Generation Xers, Generation Y, and Generation Zs, and You know, we need to do a better job of connecting and figuring out what these guys are doing. And how do we how do we help kind of um, unleash and unlock their creativity and their innovation? Because our and she said peer, she didn't say near peer, our peer competitors of China and Russia. She goes, China, she goes, those some of the younger generation, it's 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 um, off the charts how many uh, geniuses they have via IQ level. Uh, just because they spend all their time with one goal. And, and granted, you know, again, going back to the culture, China's a way different culture than yeah. America. But um, it, w- it was very interesting to, to kind of see that, you know, 10,000 foot view of what she's talking about. I mean, she talked about our um, she talked about our national debt being, you know, at 26 trillion and how that will affect our budget, especially with the Space Force and all the natural disasters having to pay for all that stuff. Um, but the one thing she did say that I, I definitely want everybody to to kind of hone in on uh, other than other things, is that she goes, the Air Force does not have a retention problem. She goes, we are two to eight thousand strong over our allotment. So what that means is not the the thing that happened to what was it back in like uh 13 or 14, whenever you know they had the voluntary separation or voluntary retirement. She goes, not yeah. that. There's gonna be a lot of hard decisions coming down on force retrainings looking at srbs um, getting people cross-trained into the critically manned areas and being more honest in ratings right if we need to trim extra where do we trim it at and who's input and that's where she you know was like you know we really rely on senior nco's input into the rating chain but also being advisors to commanders and you know people are putting into to re-enlist do they really need to be in the military? Are these individuals really productive in our in our you know society? Do they have potential to to be productive? So, it, again, it was very very interesting and intriguing to hear what she had to say. Um, she did talk a lot, but I think you know she this was her second visit since she's been the chief, and she felt compelled to give a lot of information, which I I mean we're all fine with. We you know got to ask you know a handful of questions, which was great. Um, but it was just—it was really, really interesting to get that kind of perspective, you know, st- you know, straight from the person at the top. So um, I also did get a selfie, so it was pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I saw that.
0: <laughs> I had to post that on Facebook. But... <laughs> but um, but thank you so much for letting me uh for, share that little section, Sergeant pearson Sorry yeah. for stealing your time. Um, you know, I just we wanted to try to share as much information as we can. Um you know, through th- with everybody. So, um, but turning it back over to Sergeant Pierce and kind of just, if you don't mind, just kind of take us through, you know, um, you know, where you're from originally uh, and how you came to be in the Air Force.
2: Sure. So I was born in Indiana, raised in Indiana, um, 20 years old. I got this amazing idea to get married uh, and he happened to be in the Army. So I moved down to Fort Benning, Georgia, and that was really my first experience Um, around the military in general. So that's kind of where I learned the ins and the outs and the do's and the don'ts kind of thing. We ended up getting divorced about three years later and I stayed in Columbus, Georgia um, by myself even though the rest of my family was in Indiana still. Um, And I just, I started entertaining the idea that I wanted to join. Um, So I actually looked at the Army, the Navy and the Air Force um, all my army friends told me to go air force, of course, <laughs> and <laughs> <Not> <laughs> <do I. laughs> yeah, um, so that's what I ended up going with was the air force. Um, my first duty station is Andrews air force base, which is where I'm currently at for the next five days. And then I am headed to, <laughs> I know, right. It's exciting. Uh, then I'm headed to to South Carolina to work at the brig. So that's where I'm at so far. What? Uh,
0: So what was it though, sorry, we try to speak at the same time there. Uh, What was it though, when, when you were kind of, like you said, you got this idea, what was it that kind of hit home? Like, Hey, maybe I need to do this or, Hey, I want to do this.
2: Um, I got to see a lot of different areas of the army. Um, I got to see drill sergeants. I got to see ranger battalion. I got to see um, field artillery and infantry. I just got to see a lot of different aspects of the military and just kind of how they work together and they seem to be a close-knit family Um, and I just like that I like that aspect of it and I also liked that you know school was paid for even though I had already had my associate's degree Um, that was that was definitely a plus for me and just traveling so I like that the possibilities so
0: and then did you come in wanting to do mental health or what were your thoughts whenever you saw that on the piece of paper that came through
2: so I I had Intel and Loadmaster were my my top two. Okay. Um, <laughs> yes, completely different. Yeah. Um, hindsight 2020, I'm very glad I did not get those two though. Um, I had three dogs when I joined, so those two lifestyles with dogs and you know not being uh, married um, would have been very difficult to handle, especially with Loadmaster um, in the traveling. So mental health was probably 10 out of 12 on my list. <laughs> um oh, wow. yeah so it was i honestly took it pretty hard when i got mental health cuz um if you know me i'm i'm an outspoken person um i've had to tone down a lot <laughs> since being in the military i'm not very good at being tactful um which has also improved over over the years not perfect of course but i've worked on it yeah. um so just the job did not seem like it fit my personality. However, um, I've really grown to like the treatment side of things and being in that. Um, I think ADAP was my first, actually IS, which is our Intensive Addiction Services. It's our partial inpatient um, program. That's when I really, really started to like mental health and what I was doing, um, just because I can connect with the patients and and, you know, just get to them on a deeper level and then be able to help them through whatever they were going, going through at the time. So it's, it's working out. I will say that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, but, and then you, you have gotten a travel, um, just a little bit, but you've been in,
2: I went to Alaska for three months, um, last year from August to November. Um, and then I just went to Dover, Delaware for, my I always say quote-unquote deployment because it's not overseas um (laughs) but they they acknowledge it as a deployment Mm -hmm. um which makes sense it's it's related to to people coming in from overseas who have been KIA so um yeah I've gotten a little bit of experience going places and it's been really great so I've loved it.
1: So let's talk about Alaska real quick Um, what was that like? Cause you were at Isleson. So, um, that's usually the one that people deem they don't want to go to. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. But how did you enjoy it?
2: So I was really excited and I was welcomed. Um, I, it was a, it was a warm welcome when I got there. Um, they actually have a, a bucket list when you get there from command They gave it to me when I did my in processing and it's kind of like, these are all the things that you should do while you're here. And I had also Googled the top 100 things to do in Alaska and my crazy self had a map quest also to where I should be going and what I should be seeing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I really took advantage of being there. Um, And there was just, and even on the treatment side, there were different situations that you had to deal with um, as opposed to being in the lower 48 because um, there's not a lot to do, um, depending on what people like to do, obviously. Um, but when it's cold in those few months, January, February, and it's like negative 60, there's not much to do. So people find substances and, and they find, they make their own trouble basically. So, and then also people get depressed when there's no sunlight. So Alaska just presents a whole new level of challenges. Um, but I, I absolutely loved it. And I found so many things. I had people that were stationed there for two or three years and they're like, I haven't done half the things you've done. Cause I drove down to Anchorage twice, which is a six hour drive through the mountains one way. <laughs> so Ooh. I really did a lot of things while I was there.
0: I think that's awesome that they gave you a bucket list. Like, like to yeah. me it's a proactive approach to say, Hey, do these things. Right. And cause yeah, even for those people that maybe aren't adventurous or like, I guess I got to do these things and hopefully it sparks some kind of like, Hey, this is actually really cool. I think that's fantastic. And it's, I think like every unit could do that, right? Like a, you know, Hey, here's the things to do here. Hey, you definitely should check it out here. That's fantastic.
1: Cause as we know, people that are depressed or going through issues, the last thing they probably have is the motivation to get out and figure out what to do. Yeah. Um, and so if you're getting handed something that is like, here is mm-hmm. something to do.
2: <laughs> yeah, I would have loved that at Andrews, honestly, because there's just so much. It's It seems kind of overwhelming when you get here. I'm a small town girl. So when you get to a big city, I'm just like, I don't know what to do or where I'm at. So <laughs> yeah, so it was a little bit overwhelming. So I do agree that bases could have that. And I, I think it more honestly, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think it, <laughs> I think it's a proactive way to kind of, to fight those yeah mental
1: and um so my husband had gone tdy there for two weeks and he 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 saw a lot of just the culture in that area is focused around drinking like Mm -hmm. like that is what people do there and so um to give a a, and then there's not even much outside of the town that's outside of the base and everything Yeah. (laughs) yeah plant the seeds that's awesome and yeah I'm actually writing that idea down because that's, yeah that's awesome I thought
2: that was great of them yeah. yeah so
1: and then so switching from Alaska to Dover totally different experience um yeah just tell us about your experience there
2: so um Dover was Dover was nerve wracking before I got there, like thinking of, you know, what am I going to see? What am I going to do? Um, how much am I going to be involved, um, with remains and, and things like that? Cause that's not something your everyday, you don't deal with in your everyday life. Um, so I definitely had a lot of, uh, reservations about going and what it was going to be like. So, um, actually the very first day I showed up, I did all my briefings and things like that, um, pre-exposure. And we had the, the mental health techs that were there um, training me, they did, actually did my briefings. Um, and we got started that day. So Ooh. I saw remains that day. Um, so it, it took it, you know, it was very quick and, you know, over with fast. Um, but like the, the, I guess the anxiety went away very quickly. Is what I'm saying about just not knowing the unknown, um, and so basically, my time there, I would. We live in a hotel, and I lived in the hotel with the rest of the people. Most of the people were um, National Guard, or I'm sorry, Reserve. Most of them were Reserve. A few active, maybe like a handful, not very many. Um, so that, that was a different component to um, deal with and trying to to navigate in between. Um, but we would. Uh, we would receive the, the remains from overseas, um, when someone had passed away and we would either be with the family while they were, because they would fly the families in to see when their loved one flew in. Um, and then we would also be, uh, working at the Fisher house, um, with the friends of the fallen and things like that, um, to prepare them to go out to the flight line. So you would either be with the family or you'd be working with the, uh, member that had flown back with the remains so typically that was a close friend or um, you know just a unit member that they would be with um, that maybe was there when it all happened um, so you were also kind of checking on them when they came in and then um, I would also uh, be part of um, you know dressing the remains to get them, getting them ready for casketing and then having them sent off to their final resting place. So that was, in a nutshell, um, part of the uh, process. But then you also had the aspect of keeping the deployers um, you know, mentally ready and, and distracted in ways. Um, we, we had a really good resiliency program, um, a lady named Shelly. She was over all of that. And we had great uh, chaplains with us, RAs, um, and then myself as part of the team. Um, Some of the chaplains were deployers, some of them were permanent party. Um, The RAs were always deployers. And so, and we rotated in every six months just to not have overexposure. But we would have, um, we would set up events and uh, sporting, we would have sport days, we would have, you know, runs, we would play games, we would do all kinds of things. Uh, to keep everybody busy and occupied and so that was another challenge of the mission so it was awesome though
0: how so to me that you know just kind of is is just kind of like mind-blowing you know what I mean that we are a part of that mission and it makes sense you know what I mean it it absolutely makes sense to be there to help people it's just you know when you when I think of mental health tech and I first came in I didn't ever expect that we would have a mission of bringing back remains from downrange? you know what i mean like that wasn't anything that really crossed my mind um so how was that first day because i feel like i feel like i would be like whoa, whoa, whoa like we're jumping right in like can we have a day to be like hey i just got here i got the brief you know tomorrow you know like let me prep mentally for the. how was that first day just kind of being like hey you got the briefing so here we go
2: um it was it was something to be a part of honestly because when we, I did the briefings, I got in there um, and then my, my trainer looked at me and he said, so we're about to walk in and there are remains in this room. Are you, are you okay with that? And I said, yeah, sure. Let's go. You know, let's, let's do this. Cause it's only going to be more throughout the, the time I'm there. So um, it was humbling, I guess, to, to be part of that because you see someone who had served their country and you know is laying now on a table in front of you it just kind of brings it home what we were really doing there um so emotionally it was it was a a long day yeah. and I want to say that week um most of our missions um we had like four or five missions that that week so meaning more remains were coming in and it was usually um a time where we were supposed to be asleep when they would come in and so um the the unit did very good with trying to get us our sleep hours back. Um but it was definitely a, a go 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 as soon as I got there type thing. Yeah. Until COVID hit. <laughs> so
0: Yeah. So what was the challenges with COVID in your guys' mission?
2: Um, COVID, gosh. <laughs> there were so many challenges because when it first hit, everybody was freaked out. We didn't know what exactly um what COVID was, I guess, and how to handle it and how it was transferred. Um, And so you have uh, probably 40 deployers in a hotel together. Oh wow. um, That had also, which mind you is a hotel for everyone else who comes in the base. So the flyers and all that kind of stuff. So they kind of had to figure out how to separate us because we had to be um, ready for a mission to come in because we're a no fail mission. So we had to be ready for for a, a flight to come in. And if we all had COVID, then that wasn't a thing Then we couldn't do it. Um, And then we'd be a fail mission. So um, we had to screen the family members before they came. Um, If they were sick at all, obviously they couldn't come. So that was another um, hindrance on them being able to, to see their family member come home. Um, But we also, (laughs) I mean, living in a hotel, we didn't have, kitchens or anything like that so it was a struggle getting you know food and things like that and our time out of the hotel would have been going out and doing things in the area like the beach and things like that um, just to kind of get our mind off of it which was an amazing addition to being over in Dover, um, having the beach so close because that's not something I'm used to yeah. um, but we couldn't do that anymore and we couldn't we couldn't go places like the mall or um, really, just anything, so our life revolved around being in a hotel and going to work, and that is all we did. So um, it definitely started the I could see the effects on the members of not being able to sleep and um, being depressed and being you know just not themselves because they couldn't get out and do the things that they love to do in their free time. So it was a challenge for sure.
1: Did you did you guys try doing anything like in the hotel, like as a group, like during that time? Um, yeah. It must have been we, really hard because, yeah, you're not <laughs> able to go out and do any of your like coping, like like what we normally tell people to do. Right.
2: And it was, yeah, we did try and do those things. Um, but also we couldn't have more than 10 people in a group. And that's when they started all of that. So mm-hmm. when you have 30, 40 deployers and you're trying to play sports and you have kickball when you have eight, I think it was eight people at that time. You can only have eight people in a group. So, four people on a softball or a kickball game is kind of – it's just hard. And so, we didn't have a lot of spaces that we could space out. And at at first when COVID hit, um, since they weren't quite sure of of what was going on, they wanted to limit as many people in the building as possible. and one of my jobs was to be in the job while they were doing the job to kind of keep an eye on them to see if, if something maybe had affected them differently or if they were just maybe not acting themselves. So I didn't wasn't able to have an eyes on sometimes when they were doing things like, you know, dressing remains and, and things like that. Um, so that definitely created a an issue. Um, and then we started doing. um a blue and silver skilled schedule, which I think is kind of what the rest of the air, what the air force did at that time. Um, so then that meant I wouldn't see the rest of half of my team, essentially mm. that. And so the whole point of having a, like a six, I think we had five or six person resiliency team was, so they had access to different people because one person not might not vibe with me as good as they vibe with someone else. And that's who they wanted to talk to. Well, when they couldn't, they didn't have that person as a resource, because we weren't even supposed to meet up with them after work to keep you know the spread low um I think it presented a lot of problems um and challenges so but I think we I think we did the best we could yeah because some people just don't want to get out of their room so the only place that I would see them was at work Mm -hmm. and so when I'm not even going to work I'm really not seeing you And it's kind of a, it's a violation of their privacy to just go, I wouldn't go knock on their door at their house to see if they're okay, unless I had concerns in the normal world, um, in a clinic. So, um, to me, it felt like I shouldn't be going and invading their space on a deployment, no matter if they have just a hotel room down the hallway either. So Mm -hmm. it was challenging and anyone can say they're okay over text. So it, it definitely created a lot of, of. or you know um situations where it was just tough and you had to create new new ways of doing things
1: so what did what did you do I mean that must have even added even more to your own stress because you can't do your job um you care about your people but you can't even check on your people yeah um so what did you do to help mitigate your what you were going through
2: so, I always say that I turned into an old lady at COVID um, because I would, there was a trail around the base that we could walk. And so I would do my nightly walks <laughs> <laughs> like, an, like an old person but at night. Um, I would definitely do that. And I would try, just try and get people that were on my team to go out and do that walk with me. Um, I would also do puzzles. So that was another old person thing. I guess
1: I'm <laughs> um, old in general because I do puzzles, not even. Famous, I love even. <laughs> puzzles, but
2: I just, I had a lot more time to do them. So yeah. Um, so I was doing puzzles and uh, I got some coloring books that we started doing, um, like the adult coloring books or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, we would do, oh my goodness.
1: Sorry. That's we would do, <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, we would also play cards a lot uh rummy and uno and Skippo and Face in were something we did a lot so um sometimes not when we were with the people we were supposed to but uh you know it was all about resiliency for me because some people wouldn't get out of their room and if we could get them out of the room i didn't really care who was around as long as we had masks on and we were making sure they were okay so yeah i mean
0: honestly too if you guys i mean if nobody's going anywhere right you know what i mean nobody's traveling with the outside population everybody's just kind of contained to the hotel to base
2: well we kind of had to though but but no but that's
0: what i'm saying like if you're if you're already there where's the harm in playing uno for a night with
2: the mask on
0: you know what i mean like everybody's we we
2: had to go out to get food you know we had to go out and get groceries we had to go out and get food. we also had uh, the, the members working in the Fisher House. Um, they had people coming in from yeah. all over. So it was, it was a challenge because that, that, was, that could have been the spread, honestly. So yeah. they had to quarantine even more so than we did because they were having family members come in. Um, so it was, it was different, very different.
0: If, so to me, that sounds like a like a logistic, um, like a big logistic nightmare, right? On top yeah. of and then you add COVID, right? I mean, like logistically, you're you're bringing back remains from downrange. You have somebody escorting the remains. Then you have whatever family friends are coming in, and you know, I mean, I'm mm-hmm. assuming some sort of command represent representative as well. Um, yeah, so you have all this logistic stuff, so there's a lot going on. Then you throw COVID in there. So then it's even more stressful as, as right. aside from helping with those people during that COVID, what would you say would be, what would was your biggest challenge with this mission?
1: I would
2: say um, it is tough having a balance of being okay yourself. I think personally for me, I would, I was, okay mentally during the whole deployment um i just i have just a, a different personality but i think for someone who maybe it might be more um seeing remains and working with them um might have a bigger effect on them i think would be uh a lot tougher for them to get their resiliency in and be able to deal with that um but the tough the tough part for me i think was not being able to get out and do the things that i normally do to be resilient and then also having i was pretty much on call the whole time if that makes sense because i was at work and then i also lived with them essentially because i had a room right down the hall um i didn't find it tough but it was one of those things where you were available at all times and sometimes when you just wanted to take your time and you maybe just needed some space or whatever the case was um that wasn't that wasn't a thing so it was one of those things where it was just if they called you you were there so that was that was a learning a learning experience for me for sure
1: um before we started recording you also talked a little bit about um uh, because you're you being an army spouse before you came in the air force, you actually had some connections to some of the the deceased that had come come through. Um, can you talk about that experience?
2: Yeah, that was that was really interesting. I actually had um, a friend of mine. He had contacted me saying that some things went down overseas, and uh, and he said that he needed. Did I cut out? Are you guys still? We're good. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He just, he said he had some friends coming through and he said, you know, it just makes me feel a lot better that to know that you're there and you're part of that. And I actually had, um, I think a few of my army friends didn't realize I was there and we had another, an army member come through that I had socially known, um, that had passed away overseas too. So being part of that, um, it was awesome to be the the connection because those people left, When they were killed in action, they left um, overseas and then they had uh, an escort with them. And then I was the connecting piece because I then took pretty much, um, you know, that next step and was watching over their their member um, or their friend or loved one or whatever they were to them. Um, So that was a really honorable, honorable position to have because... It was very near and dear to their heart, and some of those people um, are very near and dear to me. So, just being able to be that connection for them and kind of a peace, honestly, um, uh, just a peace for peace of mind for them um, to know that somebody's still with them and their friend isn't alone. Um, and some of them were even in, buried in Arlington, and I actually went out for Veterans Day and just laid flowers on their graves. Um, and, you know, just sent them pictures of that, and it's just, it's kind of cool how I can be an extension for them um, to just give them a peace of mind in in those situations, so it was awesome.
0: Yeah, to me, that sounds, I mean, like, to me, and and I'm, I feel like that's a great way to help them out, the people that you knew, right? You know, a great way to, like you said, to help them give that peace of mind. Uh, and that to me sounds like something, if you're willing to do that, absolutely. Because uh, like you said, not everybody has that same experience when they, when they go for this deployment or, or that same reaction to this. So it sounds like you really, you know, kind of thrived in that environment of helping people out during that time. And and I agree with you being on call 24-7 absolutely is, you know, is a, is a big shocker when you're like, oh snap, there's no Saturday, Sunday. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, it's right? no, there's no Saturday and no Sunday. There's no five o'clock at night, like time yeah. out. Like, yeah,
2: <laughs> it was, it was interesting. And of course, um, when I say that I was there for them too, I was honest Um I grew really close to a chaplain that was there and so I was honest with him that hey I know this person coming in and so I had an outside perspective too that if if I was too close to the situation he would have removed me but since I didn't personally know them he did not remove me so I thought that was Mm -hmm. um, that was definitely key because sometimes you want to be a part of something even though it's not maybe the healthiest choice for you so oh, yeah. I had to be mindful of that too yeah
0: yeah um, there's nothing wrong with setting those boundaries by any means you know um, yeah because in the long run if this one is going to be too much for you you would rather excuse yourself for that right. once that way you can carry on you know the next missions that roll down right way yeah if, let's say I'm getting ready to head out here in a month to go do that mission what advice would you have
2: um be ready to to be open-minded because you're about to see a lot of things Um, I would prepare yourself with how to talk to families um, that are grieving definitely don't make promises just like we do in mental health don't make promises of things Um, and you're you might see there's just everyone deals with with grief um, whether that be a deployer or a family member differently Mm-hmm. Um, so just be prepared for that and what you're going to see. And it's okay to be emotional with those people. Because um, you're human, like it's going to happen. So, but I would just say to be ready to acknowledge those feelings and definitely be ready to tell somebody if it's too much or if you're, if you're experiencing um any of that, because when you can't be, when you can't take care of yourself, I'm sure everybody's heard this and you can't take care of yourself, you can't take care of anyone else. So you kind of have to have your mind right before you get there to be able to continue the mission and be able to take care of yourself and everyone else. So, and I, I also would say, be ready to mingle with people. Like when you were talking earlier, get in where you fit in. You literally have to find something that you connect with everyone with. Whether that be gaming, and I'm not a gamer. I used to, I still have my Super Nintendo, my, yeah, my sixty four, but There we go. <laughs> I definitely have those. <laughs> but um I had to find different ways to to you know, make connections with people. Um and and that can be a challenge in itself if if you're not a very outgoing person. So it's it's essentially an embedded position. Um and I really fell in love with that piece of it. So I thought it was really awesome.
0: Yeah. Man, I, you know, again, if, I mean, it sounds like a, um, I was told as a young airman from my first flight commander, he goes, Hey, if you ever get a chance to deploy, do it. Cause it'll be very, very rewarding. Uh, obviously there's a lot of strings attached yeah. to whenever you go downrange or whenever you go do a mission like this, that, you know, there's things you don't think about but to me. Um, this sounds like, it sounds like a very challenging you know assignment but it can be very rewarding like you said but it can be emotionally taxing um
2: it definitely can
0: yeah that i mean it's 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 weird to think that um i shouldn't say it's weird to think it's the first thing i think about whenever you start talking about this is just the profession of arms like how many people are so disconnected Mm -hmm. from the fact that that is our job right you literally see the end result of our job yeah as military members that's right. a lot that's a big piece that you sign up for that you may not realize until it's either like you said in this situation or you're right. downrange and you're having to you know take shelter or take cover from incoming you know it's one of those things that people right. may not realize until it, these moments hit so
2: right yeah and it it was just amazing to be a part of
0: yeah so kind of switching gears. You're, you went from, it sounds like you've kind of been on like this, you know, you went to Alaska, was it last year?
2: Yeah, it was August to November of last year.
0: So August to November of last year in Alaska for the Manning Assist, January of this year to July you're at Dover, and now in five days you're getting ready to go down to the brig. How do you feel yeah. like those experiences have prepared you for the brig?
2: Um, so and I also did uh I worked with Wounded Warrior in between Alaska and Dover. So that's another aspect of it. I haven't told you guys that yet. Um, surprise,
0: bombshell. Yeah, there yeah, it is.
2: Yeah. Tell us <laughs> <Boom. what's laughs> <Yeah. But> <laughs> yeah, about that. It. Uh so they started a resiliency program, a resiliency track in the wounded warrior. And so it's not just sports now, it's also a resiliency track. And they would um they would sing, they would make songs, and they would do crafting, and they would do, um, they would have sessions where they would just talk. And it brought out, man, when I say that week was, it was amazing to be there for them, and it was also exhausting. I went home every day mentally exhausted, but rewarded at the same time. Um, Because I didn't realize how much they would need me, if that makes sense. I, I wasn't quite sure because I was the first one to do it. Um, so I wasn't quite sure what was going to be expected. And I, I did that in National Harbor. Um, they had those in a, ho- a hotel over there, um, which is like 20 minutes from where I'm at. But um, yeah, that was another challenge in itself. So I think that prepared uh, Wounded Warrior was also kind of an embedded situation because you're seeing these people that have had so many different experiences, different jobs, different. Um, backgrounds, obviously, um, that might not have a wound, such as, you know, an amputated leg, or, you know,
1: yeah.
2: uh, being an amputee, I guess I should say. The visible um, wound? Yeah, they don't have the visible wound, but they do have the, the psychological wounds. Mm-hmm. So um, that was very intriguing um, to learn about and kind of prepare myself for things to come. Um so that prepared me, and then I believe that Dover was more of an embedded situation as well, um, and just getting to know people and their experiences. Um, I think I have to attribute that also to IAS that I talked about earlier, which are partial inpatient substance abuse yeah. uh, program at Andrews. Now to the brig, um, I think that's really prepared me really well to, to get to know, because I'm gonna be working with inmates now, yep. um, and you have to get to know them and kind of know how they tick and see that they're acting a, a certain way one day maybe that they're down or, or whatever the case may be um, and just dealing with that and, and you know, going with the flow and seeing where it goes. So I think it really prepared me for that stuff.
0: Oh, absolutely. So, I, think, I think, like you said, that iOS piece is, you know, is very, very key because you're going to have a lot of, you know, hands-on work with them, and you have a great resource in uh, Sergeant Garrett right there who's, you know, been through it, and you can talk yeah. to him about that and probably lean back and reach back out to him on how he yeah. maybe managed certain things. Uh, when did you join again?
2: Uh, 2015.
0: So you joined in 15, and you, you have your KDAC, your staff sergeant, you're getting ready to do a uh what I consider a special duty I don't I don't know if it's official I think it's called that yeah I think so um but what do you what's next for you? what goals do you have I mean like you have a lot of this a lot of this experience in the last five years mainly in the last year I mean you've gotten a lot of stuff outside of your home base what other goals do you have for your career
2: um I personally would like to be embedded um Special, working with the Army, or I would say being around the Army, um, I had a different mindset when I joined the Air Force of what it was going to be like. And yeah. it, was, it was a lot different than what I expected. Um, so I would say being embedded with a special ops unit, I would say would be my, my goal, um, which is tough being a female because they don't like to see females. I don't think it's more acceptable right now to be a female in a special ops unit um, just because of the potential problems it could cause, um, which is very real. I mean, that's why they don't have them, you know, in their units initially anyways. um, Cause it it just seems to be more trouble than, than good um, working with them as far as like the same job. But I think being a mental health tech with them would be appropriate because I think, they're more willing to share their feelings um, and see a little softer side of them with a female um, instead of a male because you have to be tough in front of a male um, socially. That's what's socially accepted right now. Um, So I I think I could, it would be a good fit for me just because I know those lifestyles and I've, I've been around Ranger battalion and, and spec, spec ops, special forces, things like that. Um, and you have the so I for think, it. <laughs> the,
1: the yeah, skin I, I, for it, for yeah sure.
2: I have the personality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so I think this, just the hesitations, um, I think that there is, there's just a look about it that is still there, a stigma, if you will, I guess, of a female working with special ops. Um, but I, I think I would personally love it. <laughs> i think because <laughs> my personality be, yeah. it,
1: would, it would be it. yeah
2: <laughs> and i also just kind of understand kind of like um you're doing right now with the the helicopter or the Vacuum. um is it the helicopter no
1: the, the unmanned right the
0: oh, it's the uh the remote, the remote piloted uh unmanned oh aircraft. okay <laughs>
1: we're a bunch well, of runners you can tell
2: <laughs> <laughs> i'm like you know one of those is it the one with the 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 twirl the things, <laughs> yeah, oh those guys. No, uh, but <laughs> I did get a chance to work with um EOD and in Alaska. I actually got the uh, a pretty cool experience. We had a JTAC come in to mental health, yeah, and oh, really, yeah, and which is unheard of if y'all that's yeah. just not what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and someone had done the intake or the triage and basically said okay well you're getting referred to ADAPT," and i was like no (laughs) you can't that's just not a career field that you can do that with um you know just different career fields do different things as you're probably experiencing now being a shirt um outside of the med group it is not it's not the same um and so so,
0: no 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 No, i was gonna say you know um you know, Chief Perry actually mentioned that, you know, recognizing where our, our limitations in our clinic is for mental health, for family advocacy, for ADAP, and how it does affect career impacts. Um, maybe this is a bad comparison, but it's kind of the way that I look at it, right? The EPR system and rating people accurately. Rating people accurately is not a bad thing, rating people where they are is not a bad thing. So when right. people have their accurate ratings, it, it, cre- it, it takes a culture to understand that. And mm-hmm. I, when you look at mental health, when you look at getting care, I tell a lot of the guys over there, hey, there are things that can impact your security clearance. There are things that can right. impact your, your special duty, right? Flyers right. getting a diagnosis. They can never drink again. To me, that's absurd.
2: But, yeah, it is it's a tough one.
0: But what what I that. tell them is that it's it's very similar to that of if you break your arm and you have a cast and you rip your cast off at the 3 week mark when really you're supposed to have it on at the 8 week mark, how is that going to help your body? So the biggest thing is right. that if if you start this treatment, it is definitely on you to finish this treatment. So uh, you know, Chief Perry right. kind of hinted at hey, we got to find a better way to help the people while still letting them get help. And letting them do their job because at the right. end of the day like you said especially with those special forces guys we don't want them out of pocket unless they're having these severe yeah. reactions if if right. they're paid to shoot bad dudes in the right. face then we want to make sure they're shooting bad dudes in the face i can't do that job i'm not trying to do that job yeah and then that special that no fail mission is going to be down a body so yes we want to help right. them out as best as possible while while still serving the air force as, as well, much as we only- can
1: yeah, you got you got someone who clearly, like, they came into mental health, so they had to get over all of that, and the first thing you're going to do is say, now I need you to go down the hall and go see someone else you don't want to see right now. Like, you have yeah. to build some rapport, and there's things that we can do in the mental health side that can help with if they're, now, if there's truly, a you know, a drinking problem, I mean, like, right. we we need to do what's medically best for people and everything like that. but there's some stuff you can do on the mental health side. Like it doesn't mean you you can't touch topics of alcohol. Just like in the, in the ADAP side, we, you know, we work with people with their stress and depression and stuff. If they're not, especially if they're not going to mental health. And so,
2: yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: It's great to hear that, you know, chief Perry was talking about that. Like, Hey, like, we need to meet people also where they're at too.
2: Right. And I think that's, um, since the air force is headed towards embedding, I think that's great because that's how the army does it. Special ops is embedded. They have that person embedded that kind of understands. I think there are limitations to it. Um, because maybe that person, they don't click with that person or maybe that person doesn't understand that lifestyle still, even though they're surrounded by it. Um, can definitely hinder them getting help but maybe that one good person that is put in that position that understands will be good for them so that is my goal that'd be my goal
0: well that's awesome man um, you know there's a lot of opportunities out there for embedded slots uh and you know i get emails every now and then from uh from a few of our uh mental health uh, embedded leaders um that you know just send out hey this is you know this is available Um, these, these slots are available. So uh, definitely somebody such as yourself who wants that, you know, don't, you know, don't get caught up in the fact that you're in this special duty for such a long time that you can't, you know, volunteer for one of these things, you know, or, you know, start greasing the wheels now, you know, letting them know, hey, I want to do this. Hey, I want to do this. This is, you know, kind of my, my ambition, but it sounds like you have a right mindset for them and, you know, just helping the folks out as much as possible. Um, So, one quick
2: question. Sorry about
0: over. Oh no, you're good. Uh, one quick question. <laughs> if you could go back to basic training tech sergeant or uh, tech school Pearson there, what, what advice would you have?
2: Oh gosh. Um, I've always, you don't, at, at least when I came in, you didn't get to pick the job you were in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would, I always believe that everything happens for a reason and I think I was put in this career field for a reason. Um, and I would say that for anyone, whether it's not where you're going to stay forever, you're still going to learn things about other people, um, and about yourself while you're doing it, honestly. Um, so I would just say embrace it. Uh, tech school was a challenge for me because I was class lead and I was so much older than a lot of them. Um, so, um, just embracing that time and kind of enjoying it more than I would have tried to enjoy it more than I did. I was very, um, I studied and I did my thing and I was class lead. So it's hard for me to be able to have fun and do that, if that makes sense. So, um, I would definitely just enjoy every step of the way, um, more than, more than I
1: did, I guess.
0: <laughs> <Yeah. So. laughs> well,
1: I think what you said there, uh, about, you know, it, Things happen for a reason. I'm I'm also a believer in that, and it might not be something you want to do, but that's how we grow. Is like going into those challenging positions that we might not have gone into ourselves, yeah. or um, going to a remote location, like, and then you find out you love it, <laughs> um, or yeah. even if you don't like it, you find out how to be resilient and dealing with the thing, those things, and coming out better on the other side.
2: Yeah. I actually, another story had, um, a ranger friend of mine reach out to me. He was overseas and just having some mental issues. And if I wouldn't have had this job, I would have had no idea what to tell him to do or to know who to get to hold, who to get a hold of, to get him help. Um, but I actually talked to one of my buddies that was in, um, his battalion. He didn't know that I knew him. Uh, and so. I knew to reach out to him to say, Hey, what's going on? Where are your resources? What's, you know, what can I give this guy or tell this guy? And they had, they were sending out his provider within two weeks. So he was able to get some care in between and then talk to the provider that already kind of knew his backstory to take care of him. So I don't know. It's just placed me in some really interesting positions. um, Since I've been in this career field when that's outside of the job and in different branches as well. So it's been really cool.
0: That's been awesome. And it sounds like you've been, you know, like you said, in a place to really help a lot of folks. I think that's fantastic. And like you said, it's good for folks coming in to realize, Hey, while this may not have been your first choice, it doesn't, it's it's not your last option. There's plenty of options that the military has. Take what you can from this and do your Mm -hmm. best with what you have. And if you, if it's for you, absolutely, you know, do, you know, continue on. If not, there's plenty of other jobs, but I agree. I, I feel like mental health is um, is a great career field because people don't recognize how much we actually can help people. And it may not be on the the day to day ops. It may be the you know bumping on somebody at the dfac or, uh, you know, like you said, somebody else hits you up. Hey, you're, you're you're in mental health. What's going on here? You know, I've had that plenty of yeah. times where, oh, you're in mental health. You know, fire off the question. and It's like, oh, OK, let's help you out here. yeah that's that's fantastic that you've been able to help folks
2: yeah it's been great honestly when you look at it and you talk about it today it kind of puts it in perspective because you can get lost in the day-to-day grind and kind of lose sight of what you've actually done um so this is kind of bringing it back for me too for my time here and and in mental health so far so
0: awesome well it sounds like uh, the brig and it's in charleston right you're heading down to charleston
2: it is awesome
0: It sounds like they're getting a,
2: uh,
0: (laughs) yeah, there you go. (laughs) Um, You'll be right there. It sounds like they're going to get a great asset um, with you coming down there. So um, maybe we'll bring you back on after you've been down there for a while and just kind of get an update, see how you've been doing and everything. And um, we definitely wish you the best down there. Um, Do you have any more questions?
1: No, I don't have any more questions. Thank you for taking the time in between t m o getting your stuff and, <laughs> and not having furniture in your house and yeah and entertaining us um yeah I agree um uh Charleston's getting an excellent tech. It's been awesome. Yeah. the things you've talked about um like how you felt you've grown. it's been awesome it's noticeable um I, you know, I was on Andrews. I worked with Saren Pearson since she showed up from her. Yeah from tech school and everything. It's been awesome to watch you grow. And um, yeah, you talk about your personality, you have a strong personality in a good way, not that's yeah, no, not yeah. at all. Um, but you've been able to use that to hone your skills and things and just being honest with yourself and, and everything. And so um, yeah, Charleston's gonna be a great opportunity for you and you're gonna do really well there. I'm really excited for you.
2: <laughs> I appreciate that, thank you. I'm excited too, lots of new challenges. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you
0: go. Well, we, yeah. well thank and you so ones. much. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you so much, Sergeant Pearson, for joining us today. We appreciate it.
2: Thanks for having me. Anytime. Right, bye-bye. If- bye bye. Bye. <laughs>